You said I pushed this for record, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> call is now being recorded and I will be ready momentarily so how are you um you know I'm doing pretty good I had my bar interview today that was at 10 o'clock they stressed you know be on time whatever whatever wear court attire so I get up I have to leave my apartment which I usually only do to run because all my friends are studying for the bar um, mm-hmm. I have to put on this suit. I have to go and it takes me like an hour and 15 minutes on a crowded train where I'm standing the whole time and it's hot to get there. I walk in and the interview takes about two seconds. And yeah, like, that's right. what I've heard. And I'm just like, wait, I can't, can we even this over Skype? I just like had this notarized and mailed it to you. It was, it was absurd. It was wild. Yeah. And then you have to go back later then in the week to actually like get to go sworn back. in, right? I've got to go back tomorrow for orientation, and I've heard that's that's like three hours, but it's a miserable three hours. Um, so I have to make a whole trip again tomorrow, and then I have to go back again on Monday to actually get it and get it. Um, no, but everything is good. You, you, what like new TV stuff have you been watching? So we, you, I think what, this was your final verdict last week or the week before, because HBO put up the night before the night of early. I watched it Sunday night when it Mm -hmm. actually was scheduled to air. It's fantastic. It's really, really fantastic. It's just very well done. Mm -hmm. It's in my neighborhood, which is a little creepy. The cast is phenomenal. It's a who's who of people who have been on other HBO shows. The main guy, the actor, I'm totally... Riz Ahmed. Yeah, Riz Ahmed, he's... First of all, really cute, like really, really cute, which I appreciate. <laughs> but he's so, so good. Apparently, the British show that it's based on, Ben Wishaw played that part. And I think this kid has a – I haven't seen it. I want to watch it. I think it's probably really good. But I just really like Rosanna. He's so good in it. And I think he brings something to it that kind of, you know – a Ben Wishaw type would not bring to it necessarily. Not mm-hmm. that like Ben Wishaw is great, but I, I really like the casting it's just throughout. It's really good. I think it also often opens up different opportunities. Like even the first episode, like, you know, didn't, didn't wish I was like a white guy and it was like set in the UK. This opens opportunities like it like um, inject themes about, you know, racial justice and bias and things like that. And the first, based on the first episode, I think they're going to do it in a pretty interesting fashion. Like, it kind of opens, and you have the two people being most racist towards his character, being two black guys on the street who then end up basically fingering him in the in the police station and getting him arrested. How all that's going to unfold, I think it's going to be really interesting. But, yeah, it's definitely a good show. It's, a, it's, it's also a very slow burn and, like, lots of, like, tension building and things like that. Yeah. At least it's in the first episode. So I'm excited to see where that goes. It was excruciating to watch, not in a sense that I didn't want to be watching it, but in the sense that I think I've talked about this before. When I was little, I'd watch Keenan and Kel and I would yell at the screen, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> not always out like out loud, but in my head, I was just, this is painful. I know bad things are going to happen. And the whole time you just see bad things escalating and you don't want him to make these bad choices, but yet yeah. 
in every instance, you understand why he's making that choice and you just see it coming in a sense that he can't. And I also like that one of the guys on the street who notices him and kind of gives him a problem when he first walks in is one of the guys from The Wire. Just And it was so good. Makes me want to go back and watch The Wire again, although that talk about painful television watching. (laughs) Yeah. HBO is bringing a lot of people from The Wire home. Like, um, what's his name? Has like a new series coming out next year or something like that. Uh, the guy that created The Wire. Um, and like a bunch of actors pop up here and every, every yeah. now and then. Um, they just had one for confer- confirmation. So yeah, they definitely, HBO definitely gets their money's worth out of The Wire and people involved in The Wire. Yeah, it's. Uh, and Ben Shankman is in it, too, which you mentioned last week, who is in Angels in America, which if people have not seen Angels in America, you've never seen truly phenomenal television. I would mm-hmm. love Angels in America to be staged again, although that's a two-night commitment and a really intense one. But apparently it's also the 20th anniversary or 30th anniversary or something like that. I should actually look up what it actually is um, of Angels in America. And there's this whole oral history that was just done on Slate that I need to read because that's going to be a post-bar thing, though, because it's really a lot of reading, and I'm going to go, want to go back and watch the miniseries again. But Angels in America is one of the best pieces of drama, of American drama ever, period. End of story. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of great pieces of American drama... I have the honor to be your obedient servant, A. Ham. Now you proceed, good man, intemperate indeed, good man. Answer for the accusations I lay at your feet, or prepare to bleed, good man. Burr, your grievance is legitimate, I stand by what I said, every bit of it. You stand only for yourself, it's what you do, I can't apologize because it's true. Let's stand, Alexander, we hawking, dawn, guns, drawn. You're on. Yes, oh my god, finally, finally, finally. Um, I guess the obligatory. Because Alan finally saw it. I finally saw it. Um, I was I, I was just kind of sitting around. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna buy a ticket for Hamilton. So I did it, and I went to go see it, and it was incredible. I got to see it with the original cast. But it's kind of fortunate that we kicked the can so far down the road because speaking of the world is wide enough, which is from from the big Hamilton Bird duel scene. Um, Yesterday, July 11th, was the actual day of the duel in New Jersey. We hawk in New Jersey. The 200, the 212th anniversary. Yes, and today is the anniversary of Hamilton's death. Um, so, yeah. so you know, very coincidental. But like I was, like I was saying, obligatory spoiler warning. Although you know, every book, every book you've ever read in high school has a spoiler for for this show. So I don't, I don't, I don't think we're going to be treading on any territory. Um, we're going to try to drop some songs every now and then if we, if we discuss them. Um, Melanie's going to keep us out of prison or federal court. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, I guess for, no, please. So, so two things that, that I want to bring up about the timing and all those other things. One, you, I have to say it, you were finally in the room where it happens. And, I was. You, know, you understand why there's a whole song about being in the room where it happens. Seeing it on YouTube is just not the same as actually being there in the room. You know, decisions are made, and it's, it's, it's a real experience. There was this great either NBC or CBS Sports article that I sent you, we'll have to link to it, that was written a couple months ago about this dad finally saving up enough to take his daughter and and how 
special it is to be in that room as opposed to just other experiences. There's something about Hamilton right now that makes it Mm -hmm. worth spending that much more money. No, I mean, like, they're going to – they're going to be touring in Chicago. I mean, they're going to be having a standing production in Chicago. They're going to be touring for, they're going to be in San Francisco for 21 weeks and they're going to start like a national tour. I know they're going to be in DC like fall of next year through like the early part of 2018. So it's going to travel, but I think I, I was so happy to be able to see it with the original cast in the original production. Um, that, you know, it's one of those experiences that I won't, that like, yeah, it was expensive, but it's, I'm happy to spend money on an experience that'll, that I can get something out of, uh, than just on like some random piece of something. One that I would venture to say you'll remember for the rest of your life. And I don't think that's oh, a, an over exaggeration. No, but not at all. I, mean, I, feel like, I feel like this is like seeing the original production of like Into the Woods of Bernadette Peters or like Greece or something like that. It, it's one of those things where it's just like one of those musicals that means so much more than just, like, what the songs were. I don't know that I'd go quite this far, but it's almost like seeing the Beatles on their American tour. Someone who never had much affinity for the Beatles, I I don't quite get it, so I'm just going to give it to you. (laughs) Uh, But also on this sort of timing note is one of the reasons you made such an effort to go was because this past weekend was Lin-Manuel Miranda, who played – Alexander Hamilton, and is also the Mm -hmm. creator. Leslie Odom Jr., who plays Aaron Burr, who won the Tony for Best Actor for that performance. And Philip Mm -hmm. Pissou, who plays Eliza uh, Schuyler Hamilton, uh, Hamilton's wife, who was nominated for a Tony for Best Actress. All three of them left the show. Plus a member of the ensemble. We don't want to leave her out. I'm forgetting her name, but a member of the ensemble also had their last day. Well, a couple of other people left the week before. I think John Rua had just left, who was also a member of the ensemble. And we're now on our third or fourth King George, depending on if you count Brian Darcy James from his time at the public and Andrew Rennell, mm-hmm. who was only there for a couple of weeks while John Groff filled the looking movie. I'm seeing Jonathan Groff in concert this Saturday night. So excited. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so. Uh, but also. Is- who took over. I think we should Javier Munoz took over the role and he's been the alternate and I've actually seen him perform already. And he is, I don't want to tell people to go out and spend obscene amounts of money, but even if you've already seen Hamilton with Lin-Manuel Miranda, I think it's worth seeing again. If you can make it, I realize that it's like a crazy expensive thing to try to tell people to do, but if you can see it with, Javier Munoz, he's such a wonderful performer and brings such an element to the performance that's different from what Lynn brings to it. I'm also excited to see what other people bring to some of the other roles of Burr, Eliza, and a lot mm-hmm. of these other things. Because part of what I think you can't appreciate until you've seen it with some of, you know, understudies and or new cast members is just how brilliant it is. This isn't the, the cast is incredible, but this is a work of art that's going to last the test of time because of what Lynn wrote. See, so I have kind of two things about that. First, I definitely agree. Like, if you if you're if you're going to be in near New York City, you should definitely come see the show. Ticket prices they're still a little expensive, but and I know this is going to sound they're crazy starting to go down. They're now a little bit over double face value, which. It's still obscene. It's, just, it's still ridiculous. 
but compared to what they used to be selling for is incredible. Um, in fact, once I saw that, like, the ticket prices has gone down, my mom's coming in this weekend because um, I get admitted to the bar on the 18th. And, you know, like, this will be a surprise, but she doesn't listen to this, so she'll never find out. Um, I got, I got, I got us tickets to go see Hamilton on, um, on Saturday. So I'm gonna, like, take her to lunch and we're gonna go see it. But I was only able to do that because the ticket prices have gone down so much. Yeah. So. I'm just trying to win the best son of the year award, you know. Well, I did take my dad to see it when he was here, uh, in February for his birthday. And yeah, so you get best daughter, I get best son. We're not totally. Um, but, but, <laughs> but my father actually kind of won up me because I bought my, the tickets months and months in advance from the venue. I got good seats, so I didn't. I wasn't cheap on it, but I got good seats from the venue months and months in advance. But mm-hmm. my brother is planning on coming to New York right after my birthday, and my father apparently promised him. That he would, if, as long as the tickets aren't obscene, so I, I don't want to speculate on what that means exactly, but I think now that mm-hmm. ticket prices are going down, that it would be in the realm of not obscene. My dad said he'd buy tickets for my brother and me to go see it, so my brother has a chance to see it. So mm-hmm. I might get to That's see awesome. it a fourth time. That is incredible. You mentioned yeah. something a second ago that you, you thought Hamilton would stand the test of time. This is something I kind of wanted to talk about for a second. So it, it seems so. There, I kind of have two different examples of this. There, there are two types of musicals that you know blow up on Broadway. There's the kind like The Lion King, where it could tour anywhere and stay forever because people want to go see it. It's been on Broadway for years and years and years. I think the same production from like inception to now. Cast members change obviously, but like it's never been out of production. And then you have musicals like The Producers, which doesn't tour well. It gets made, you know, every once in a while on Broadway, but it kind of, like, was a flash in the pan on Broadway. It tried to tour, failed, and had to, like, end that early. It sounds like... I don't think the tour failed. The the tour didn't exactly fail. The the movie did not do anywhere near as well as people would have liked it to. Um, I remember when I read, I said they had tried to go on tour, and they just weren't making money, so they had to shut it down. Wow. It's really hard for Broadway musicals to make money. But then there's also shows like Les Mis, which, you know, t- which ran forever and then was redone with a different you know, production, or Cabaret, which has mm-hmm. been revived in different stagings and things like that so many different mm-hmm. times. And I don't know what Hamilton will be. I think part of that is a question of what happens to the footage with the original Broadway cast it was recorded a couple of weeks ago. Jonathan Groff came back for two nights. They recorded two different performances. And um, according to Lynn's Twitter, it is going into a vault at Gringotts, and they have no idea what they're going to do with it. But if this is ever released or a movie version is ever made, that changes the question. But I do think that this is the sort of thing that will stand more of the test of time because it's about a historical event and therefore mm-hmm. it's important. It also, it's just, it's so good. And the humor, as timely as it is, it's also timeless. The references are great, but they're to the Broadway canon and 80s and 90s hip hop. They're not to 
the, the like this exact political moment, even though it speaks mm-hmm. to this political moment so well. I, I, I realize I'm talking a lot, so I want you to chime in on this as well. But the other thing that I would say is that every time something has happened in this election or something has happened politically, there has been a quote from Hamilton that seems relevant. And I don't think it's because of our specific political moment. I think the founding of our country and the ideals and debates that came out of it are so timelessly important. And Lynn has captured that. Yes, I realize I'm, I don't actually know him on a first name basis, but it's easier to say Lynn. Um, and he, he's captured that in a way that I think will keep this show relevant as long as there are these debates, which I think there will be till the end of this country, which hopefully will last for a really, really long time. As someone who did musical theater in high school, I think one of the interesting things going to be one of the interesting things to see will be how this translates to those avenues. Because I think when you're doing like a musical like Les Mis, you're putting on you know maybe not Cats but like Wicked or something like that. You know you pay a pretty substantial fee as a school to be able to put it on. You can cast people that usually do musical theater. With Hamilton, a musical that or I, I kind of call it an opera because there's very few spoken lines. But for a show like this that involves so much rapping, the kids who are usually in musical theater don't have that skill set. And this goes for Broadway more, more broadly. Like, they can't – they don't know how to rap. And, all, and, like, doing that, it actually takes skill and effort to learn how to get the proper meter, how to adjust, how to, how to speak with different paces and tones while you're also rapping. And I'm not sure if – this show will be able to filter through all those things to get a production, you know, in a million high schools or to be able to be something that can be reproduced over and over again. On the flip side of that, I think the, the degree to which Hamilton expands and more cities put on professional shows, more schools put on amateur shows, the more people, the more diverse group of people are that are going to be getting involved in musical theater, and that's good for the art form, I think, more broadly. But this kind of goes to, you and I had, had discussed a little bit, the, the diversity has been like a huge buzzword with Hamilton. People talk about how diverse the cast is, you know, how, how original this is, how, like, and, you know, other musicals have done this. I think the most recent iteration of Les Mis on Broadway did race-blind casting. I think, um, I'm forgetting the name, the, the guy that I played in the musical, uh, Marius, I think he was black for a period of time, the leader of the rebellion was the black first- for a period of time. The first uh, black Jean Valjean. Yes. So, like, I think that's – I think, that, like, there's other musicals that do the same thing, but Broadway has a large population of people that are involved who are, you know, white. And so I'm just not sure – it's not like – it's just a lot of people that are interested in doing Broadway are white, and a lot of the shows are geared towards casting white people. And my question is, will Broadway get the lesson of we should start casting – more people of color, or will they get the lesson of let's have more rap? Because I, I, it's it's weird. I don't know. So I hope that this brings in a sense of the ability to do colorblind casting and that sort of sensibility. I also think it will bring people thinking rap can work on stage. Um, that could have, you know, mixed results, I have a feeling. But one of the things that I, I find interesting about theater as opposed to 
television or film is there's a suspension of realism automatically because you realize that you're there with them. I don't think plays do that the same way musicals do. And interestingly enough, while all four acting awards, <coughs> excuse me, in musical theater went to actors of color at the Tonys, all four acting awards for plays went to white actors. And so mm-hmm. that is a huge problem that, that Broadway has, which is why are the story, why are those stories we're telling in plays only the story where there is more of this sense of realism and things like that that I think people are striving for? Why are we not telling the stories of people of color? And why can't race-blind casting work in something like plays the way it can in musicals? Whereas when you have people singing and breaking out into song or things like that and dancing, there's automatically this sense of it doesn't matter if you look like if it's a historical figure, figure, if you look exactly like them, because they also didn't break into song. But is that the only reason that well, race I mean, casting works, if, or should it work beyond if can, that? If I can get a little too real right now, there has never been a shortage of white people with money who are willing to pay to watch black people sing and dance um, or, or play sports. So, like, if, if we kind of want to break it down for a second, I think that's kind of what the big distinction is. It's very easy to get a white person to buy a ticket to a show that features black people singing and dancing. It's a lot harder to get them to buy a ticket to a show that features black people kind of relaying the stories of black people without singing and dancing. Um, So can I ask you a related question? Yes. So one of the things, I think it might've been Wesley Morris at the New York times. I'll have to check on that. Who talked about when he went to the show, he felt, like there were more people of color on stage than in the audience. And there are a lot more people in the audience than there are in the st- on stage. So one, so, did you feel like that? I was sitting in the mezzanine and I counted, uh, I, ca- I counted black people. Um, and I, I, I saw a couple of people who are Latino or Asian. Um, so there was myself and the three women to my left. And then I turned around and I saw three other black women. So, like, the number for the mezzanine, if I assume I missed half the people, was about 15. Um, okay. Of all the seats in the mezzanine, I didn't count the the orchestra, but I can't imagine it significantly more. So, if, if we're generous, we say maybe 50, 50, 60 mm-hmm. people of color in the theater that seats 13, 70 or something like that. Yeah. Not not the most incredible numbers. I think that one of the things one of the things that hurts Hamilton on that metric specifically is the resale market is so active. I think if most people in the show were getting in at uh the box office price, you'd have more people of color there. Because I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily racial. I think that it's economic and the economic factors do like they those distinguish upon racial lines like there's a whole bunch of reasons why people of color tend to have lower incomes than white people um a lot of it has to do with systemic racism but that's not for this podcast but it's an economic distinction that reverberates in a way that leads to racial um uh, disproportionality i don't know how you fix that because the resale market exists i know that when they when the ticket prices go up um i forgot when 
before, so when the next tranche of tickets are released by the box office, they're almost doubling the price. But – or not doubling the price. They're increasing the price pretty significantly, but they're doubling the number of lottery tickets. I'm just not sure if the lottery ticket system is the answer. I think not many people can just, on the spur of the moment, you know, say, oh, I want a Hamilton lottery. Let me leave work. Oh, I want a Hamilton lottery. Let me find out something to do with my kids. Oh, I want a Hamilton lottery, whatever. And then come up with the box office. Sure, a lot of the tickets are going to stay at reasonable prices, but how many people who are of lesser income can afford have the time to immediately get up the second that the tickets are available, have access to a computer, buy the tickets, or conversely, have access to a computer program that's going to buy the tickets for them? Um, it's it's hard to fix, and I think one of the best things is someone donated a substantial amount of money so that you know a bunch of high a bunch of um, uh, school students could go see it. I think it was a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, something like that. I think that well, the only thing that's really going to get more, you know, lower income people more generally to be able to see the show is the release of the cast recording or some sort of initiative to consciously bring those people in. Um, but but again, I think it's it's one of those shows I agree that it'll last a very long time, and I think that most people will be able to see it eventually because there are going to be so many productions of it. I could see that place occupying Richard Rogers theaters for the next decade. You know, I mean, like, I don't think the Gershwins had to have another place, another show come in since the Lion King took over. I think the Lion <laughs> King is a Gershwin, but like, so I think it could be the Lion King of Richard Rogers theater. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's definitely something that, that, you know, the show Hamilton and Broadway in general has to address, especially for their hot shows. But um, I guess my so, question now uh, well, is where, well, well, I want to comment really quickly on a couple of things you said. One, I just want to mention, so what you were talking about was the fact that there was a foundation along with public schools in New York City where 10th or 11th graders taking AP U.S. history mm-hmm. got to go to special matinee performances that the cast only did for these students. And the, the theater itself discounted it as much as they could and still pay all of their union fees and everything like that. And so this is mm-hmm. this great initiative. And they also do talkbacks and things like that with the cast. And you can follow some of the actors on Snapchat or Twitter or Instagram, and they'll post a lot about it. And it's really cool to see what was done. Yeah. I, also I mean, the cast think- still got paid, but it's one of the things where, like, the producers, the people that are actually, like, prof- potentially profiting off the show – basically surrendered all their profits for those shows those, as a way exactly. to get the price down so that as many kids as possible could see the show, you know, before they eat up all that $100,000. So it was, it was really incredible. Yeah. And then the other thing that I would say is about the resale market for this. I, there, I think that a system needs to come in place for something that's this popular where you need – a social security number or something when you buy a ticket that says I'm the one that's going to show up. And I, I think that that would be potentially one of the only ways to eliminate the, these in, insane resale prices because mm-hmm. it, no, you could buy five tickets. You don't have to know every single person who's going with you, but that way it would curb some of it. And I don't think that many people would have a problem giving that information for this or some other international buyers. If you're some some, dude in London coming in to New York and you want to see the show, if it asks for a U.S. social security number, then like. No, there's a passport number, some some sort of personally identifying information, having to show an ID to pick up the tickets and not 
allowing them to be transferred over the internet. You know, the Yankees mm-hmm. ta- did a, some stuff with this, and it was really controversial because it seemed elitist, but here it would almost seem to do the opposite and allow people to buy directly from the venue because as much as, you know, I think this show is worth sometimes paying a little bit more, and I think the producers are making obscene amounts of money, I don't I, – I have no problem with the producers and investors in something this good making money. I do have a problem – with a whole secondary market who has nothing to do with the creation of this show making tons of money. But that's potentially a conversation for a different day. I think the best they could do would to be something like, say, you know, the person buying the ticket has to say, they have to give their name, their legal name, and then that person, no matter how many tickets you buy, that person must be present. Like, they must also attend the show in order for anyone with with a ticket under that name to get in. So if you want to buy 10 tickets, Cool, but you have like you're not gonna one of those tickets you can't sell. One of those tickets is no good to you. Um, yeah, and at, you at have to like, physically come to the theater and pick it up yeah. and show us that you're you. If, if you leave early, they all need to leave. Like one of those. <laughs> I don't know. That's all you can do. But um, yeah. So we have it's like there's the Hamilton cast is moving on to different things. We're all gonna be great. Linda Miranda specifically wanted to drop this in. He got cast as I forgot the name of the chimney sweep in Mary Poppins. Maybe it'll change. The it's name a, it's a new character. It's a new yeah. character. He's not playing Dick Van Dyke's character. Oh, he's not playing that guy? Oh, okay. We well, got cast. In Mary as, Poppins, like, the, the, too. As, like, the co-lead in Mary Poppins. Oh, it's a sequel? I thought it was a remake. Nope. Mary Poppins, too. It's a sequel. Oh, wow. Well, he got cast in the Mary Poppins sequel, and he did a bunch of the music for the new Disney movie, Moana. Um, so he's he's going to be making – not only will he be making millions of dollars with Hamilton for the foreseeable future – um, he's also going to be making – he has a lot of artistic and financial opportunities outside of the show, um, which I, mean, I guess all of them do now. Philippa Sue is going to be leading um, the new Amelie musical. Um, What's-her-name just got picked up for – oh, my God, what was it? I forgot. But they're all moving on to, to incredible things. Yeah. Do you have any final um, words and, on Hamilton? Oh, and also, well, Lynn cut his hair, so that was crazy. And he and J-Lo performed on the Today Show because they did a single for charity for – um, for a charity in Orlando for uh, victims of Pulse shooting. So, oh, that's awesome. That, yeah, so lots of, lots of things going on. We'll probably check back in on Lin-Manuel Miranda's career going forward, but mm-hmm. I'm glad we finally got to talk about Hamilton. It makes me happy. Emerges with unprecedented financial power, a system he can shape however he wants. The Virginians emerge with the nation's capital. And here's the piece de resistance. No one else was in the room where it happened, the room where it happened, the room where it happened. No one else was in the room where it happened, the room where it happened, the room where it happened. No one really knows how the game is played, the art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. We just assume that it happens. Now's the part of the show where we always give our final verdicts. So, Melanie, what do you got for us? So, my final verdict. Great transition, by the way. I, I crushed it. <laughs> you did. I'm very <laughs> proud of you. Um, my final verdict this week is on Pokemon Go. Now, full disclosure, I have not downloaded Pokemon Go, and I refuse to download Pokemon Go before the bar is over. So my verdict is, like, denied. Just denied, denied, denied. <laughs> because, one, I am angry that this came out now because – I think that it is 
just it, it is begging out for me to do this and setting instead of studying for the bar. Uh, number two, Pokemon's popular Independence Day is in theaters. Uh, you know, I, I, somebody else did this. A Clinton is running for office. Like, what year is this? Blink 182 has a single. I did not make that up. I saw it on Twitter, but it's really crazy. But additionally, on this Pokemon Go thing, and this might be because I'm studying for the bar, but it just seems like one giant vicarious secondary liability tort case waiting to happen. Oh, for sure. Some like, poor like, dude, probably be like some like twenty-seven-year-old dude is gonna just like mindlessly walk in front of an NYC taxi, and that's gonna like first off, a lot of really good legal textbook tort cases will come out of it. But other than that, I have no idea what's going on. I haven't downloaded it yet, and I should because I have all the time in the world right now, and I should just be running around Central Park all day looking for Pokemon. But I haven't done it yet. Um, maybe maybe later this week. Um, but yeah, I, I have but, a question. But, but even, beyond, even beyond people getting hurt, think about it. If Pokemon, they're, they're not currently partnering with businesses where if you have, like, because some businesses are saying, like, if we have, like, a Pokemon you want in our location and you can only get it if you pay, others are encouraging people to come because they have Pokemon. But there are so many interesting tort cases about, well, what happens if they put one in a place that's a private residence and people trespass. Were you aiding and abetting, you know, that trespass action? Or if some businesses get more business because of, <clears throat> there's a Pokemon there and not in the business next door and it's just the algorithm and it turns out there's some sort of, like, racial discriminatory element to this algorithm where certain neighborhoods don't have more Pokemon because they're less wealthy or something like that. Like, there's yeah. so many weird bar exam, law school exam hypotheticals that can come from this. And I'm, I hope they have liability insurance up the wazoo because they will get sued. They will, will, will get sued in every which conceivable way. Question. Yeah. Pokemon or Pokemon? If I say Pokemon, you say, it sounds like you say Pokemon. Pokemon. I don't know. I I never watched or played, so do not do not take my answer on this. Oh, you never watched or played? Yeah. Oh wow, 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 wow! I like had the trading cards. I had I had I would I used to play Pokemon. I used to play I would play Pokemon Red in property, um, one L Spring. That's like how I got through that class. Um, I'm a, probably why I, I also got to be in that class, but. Well, I played Tetris in most of college and law school and then 2048 when that became a thing. But I don't mean this to sound sexist or anything, but I'm a girl. I Pokemon was never really a thing with any of my friends. My female friends. My male friends it was. I got worked over in Pokemon card trades by a bunch of girls in elementary school. And I don't know how it happened. I'd look up and I've traded, you know, an Ivysaur for like a bunch of stupid stuff. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, my final verdict is, so I, I'm like, my favorite websites, the ones like, I have websites that get on every time I open my laptop. I'll cycle through, you know, CNN, Think Progress, Talking Points Memo. But then the movie ones are always Flash Film, Collider, and Cinema Blend. 
like anytime movie news pops up, I tend to know about it shortly. Some photos came out from the upcoming film by Alex Garland, who did um, uh, Dose Ex Machina, which Ex Machina, I'll never pronounce that correctly, um, called Annihilation. And it has Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Gina Rodriguez, Tessa Thompson, Oscar Isaac, stuff like that. And I hadn't heard of this before, so I kind of started looking it up. And it led me to the book Annihilation, which is the first part of a series called the Southern Reach Trilogy. So I read Annihilation, the book, because that's something about the movie, and it is an incredible, incredible, incredible book. It's lots of good tension building. It's scary. I literally had trouble going to sleep a couple nights because, like, it just it, it just kind of got, got in me. Um, so if you have a chance, I'd say uh, either buy the Annihilation book and read it, buy the audio book and listen to it, um, or sometime next year the movie should be coming out. You should definitely go see it. Uh, so – I'm, I'm, I'm granting all, any and all motions related to uh, the book and soon-to-be film, Annihilation. Nice. Okay. Sounds um, good. Well, we want to obviously once again thank everyone for listening to us. We say this every week, and we mean it every week. You, know, you guys are the reason why we continue to do this. We're very excited to have all your support. Um, if you like what you're hearing, please, please, please uh, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps more people see us. We pop up in search results. It's good for everyone. Um, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher under Pop Culture Verdict. You can follow us on Twitter at Culture Verdict. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, but until next time, we're adjourned. I hate to admit it, but he doesn't get enough credit for all the credit he gave us. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? Every other founding father's story gets told. Every other founding father gets to grow old. And when you're gone, who remembers your name? Who keeps your flame? Who tells your story? Who tells your story? Who tells your story?